This is the Chicago Podcast Network. Last time on Star Trek The Next Generation. You're a no good pinko commie, and I am tired of listening to your leftist agenda on this network. Well, at least I don't eat Alex Jones' ass out every day of the week. Alex Jones is a prophet from God who has come to warn us of the Satanist, communist, horrible cabal that runs this world and is controlling us all right now through the media. And the fact that you won't acknowledge it means that you have been bought and paid for by the left. I know you are, but what am I? Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Out Front with AJ and Nick. Nights. So in case you couldn't tell, the beginning part of it was to set up the conflict that would eventually be resolved in part two of our cliffhanger. We left you hanging for a week. Now this is a weird experience for us because while it's been a week for you, it's been about 10 to 20 minutes for he and I. So, you know. We were, we were talking about Heath Slater, and I was saying that I love him, and you were saying something negative about him, and we should conclude that somehow, but very quickly, because we have to stop talking wrestling, because we're now at the beginning of a show. So, I love Heath Slater. Please explain to me why you don't, so we can get to the Ray Charles. Because he's annoying. That's all he is. Okay. There's, no, there's nothing more to it other than he's just an annoying character, and I want that story, whatever it is, to stop soon. Well, as we said during the dramatic music, ladies and gentlemen, this is Out Front, Out Front, wow, with AJ and Nick. Say it with me, AJ. It's Out Front with AJ and Nick. Nights. All right. So we got the Ray Charles going again. We're starting a new show. We uh, talked about a lot of stuff last week that is still relatively new. Uh, at the point we talked about it then, but now it's a week later, and we don't know what actually happened in the news in between the last show and this show. Though, in the meantime, AJ is going to be putting up a couple of his solo show Firebrand uh, to get us you know, through the dark times of the Empire. So, we live in a world, AJ, of weak old news right now. So, I guess we should focus on some funny stories that have took place. We never really got a chance to really delve into the Olympics outside of how evil they are. Uh, you played sports in college. You always talk about your time. Did you enjoy the tennis of the Olympics when we were watching it, which has now been over for two weeks? Yeah, no. I mean, someone asked me about that. If yeah, I... no. I've never understood that expression. Can we just, before you get into your whole thing about tennis, can we just, again, ladies and gentlemen, AJ and Nick. What are you, a grammarist? No, I'm not a grammarist, but it's one of those phrases that, there are certain phrases that George Carlin pointed out that are just stupid. And one of them he said was, yeah, no. And then he said the number one, and it is true, is what not. Which is my least favorite expression in the English language. Because it means nothing. I'm sorry. So what not? Yeah. So but what tennis not? in the Olympics, did you enjoy? Yeah, no. I hate um, you so much, you son of a bitch. Uh, only because, you know, someone asked me if I watch it, and I go, I do. Because, you know, it's It's tennis. And and I don't enjoy it because there's there's nothing meaningful behind it because it's just another tournament for them, you know. And it's it's nothing really spectacular other than you get a medal for it. 
and it doesn't really that's all there is and you know in tennis and pro tennis there's this thing called um the golden cup year so if you win the australian open uh the french open wimbledon uh u.s open or the olympics and the u.s open open that's your golden that's your golden um grand slam and there's only like very very handful of people who've done that in singles at least um and it's, it's a wholly different it's a totally different tournament because you can go to like two other grand slams and predict it's going to be Djokovic, it's going to be Nadal, it's going to be Federer, Andy Murray. But the Olympics is totally different because it's like this year's winner was my was my guy um, Del Potro in Argentina. Um, he would never have won a Grand Slam, but he'll he can win Olympics and everything. Um, and it could be said because you know all the top ten players don't even bother because they're worker about rankings or what have you so that's an open field for other tennis players but it's just doesn't it's not really sexy um for me it's fun like i said it's fun to watch like u.s player um jack sock play um because he doesn't get that much airtime and what have you um so yeah i mean it's that and i watch um the wrestling i've watched um some of the swimming some of the track and field um, I didn't watch the basketball because I, I figured it was going to be like U.S., Spain, Australia um, towards the finals and everything. Um, so yeah, I mean it was it was, it was I, it's just the Olympics, the Olympics anymore for me. It's it's not it's not it's not a spectacle as it once was. Well, yeah, and it's the Olympics, especially when they started incorporating pro athletes years ago, is. It's not the same thing that I guess you, that our parents grew up with or anywhere that you really want to put it. The one thing that I'll say, though, about the tennis was it was very shocking to watch the Williams sisters go down uh, right up until somebody told you that they had been playing the night before until midnight and, like, what, what the hell did people expect to have happen? Mm-hmm. You know, that, that, that kind of stuff was exciting. I just figured the tennis, so I'm, I'm actually surprised that the tennis isn't a bigger thing for you, but... Uh, wrestling was entertaining. I'm a big fan of watching fencing. I just like I find it. It's like my version of curling uh, during the Winter Olympics. It's just relaxing to watch. It's it's cool background noise. I love team handball because it's just completely different. Um, it sucks though because NBC's coverage was so USA focused that they didn't really highlight any sports where Americans weren't great. So that was kind of a downer. I don't. I, I enjoyed the Olympics, and we talked about it a little bit. But you want to have some fun discussing the international saga that is Ryan Lochte, who, by the way, got us a hundred thousand uh, views on our Facebook page when I posted the John Oliver video. But I, I've enjoyed the Ryan Lochte story because it's it's fun to watch a jock just kind of derail himself. Well, uh, that's the thing. I mean, it's what it is, a little bit of me is like laughing because you have the stereotypical jock who is now, you know, getting himself in trouble, like, and rightfully so. And and there's some people, I've actually heard people who feel sorry for him and everything, while myself and others is like, well, he got what he deserved because he's an asshole. <laughs> well, not only that, but it's just, it's like people who feel sorry for that guy, the hell with them. It's, it's I'm sorry, but, you know, this dude... Not only did he get what he deserved, but 
do they it, – it, I'm willing to bet those same people are Trump supporters because they just have to be able to completely ignore someone's behavior. Um, I, I, I have no problem with the lying, believe as shocking as that may be to people. But what I, what I have a problem with is when you get caught, you get caught and stop trying to equivocate and, and make it seem like it's all okay. Not, not to mention the fact that the dude is apparently is just dumb as bricks, so the hell with him. I, I, honestly, I have I have no sympathy for Ryan Lochte, and I, I just you you played sports growing up. I played sports growing up. We know you and I both know that guy. We may not know that guy, but we know that guy. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Very much so. You know, it's, it's it's that dude you hated, and he just drove you nuts. What the hell with it. And I, I hope that he ends up. I honestly, I hope he ends up in a lot more. Tr- I, I hope that they actually uh, send his ass back to stand trial because it, it would be fun for me. That's honestly the only reason. If you could, though, would you? I mean, look, I don't think the guy deserves jail time for being a drunken idiot. But at the same time, you're a guest in another country. You are a representative of the United States of America, even more so than I will be in, as you hear this in Greece. But. It's just that moment of, dude, what the hell are you doing? Like, what are you doing? This is incredibly stupid on your part. And you could have gotten away with the whole thing if you just kept your mouth shut. But you didn't. And the best part about this whole story to me, though, is any good... This is where it gets... All right, so there is a skill in lying. I think you'd agree? Yeah, I mean, there's there's an actual, like, art, if not a line, when one lies that and my point is that there are certain things you know and the number one thing is if you're going to lie about a story about yourself you are never the hero because that's when people start to question it and his whole thing of someone pointed a gun at me and i didn't do what they said and everyone in the world went well you should be dead and the fact that you're not means that that probably that you're what's the line in the fugitive would you care to revise your statement what's that you want to change your bullshit story sir Knights, are you there? I'm here. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. I like quoting the fugitive. What we want out of you is a hard target search of every gas station, residence, hen house, pen house, dog house, and outhouse in that area. Checkpoints go up to 15 miles. Your fugitive's name is Doctor Richard Kimball. Go get him. You know my favorite thing about that scene? What's that? The contempt in which he says doctor. That's your favorite scene? My favorite part of that scene. Like, what I want out of you is your fugitive's name is Dr. Richard Kimball. Like, he just drops it. Like, it's insignificant to him that he's a doctor. I've always liked that. I love that movie. I guess. Knights. Um, We talked Lochte. Again, we're, we're talking about news that hasn't happened yet. I assume wrestling sucked, so we won't have to talk about that. Let's. Let, we, we want to speculate wildly as we, we record a week early as to whatever craziness Donald Trump has done. He's gotten two national security briefings. You want to think he just starts dropping that shit to, uh, like, by the time people hear this episode, is it possible that Donald Trump has revealed some sort of national secret that he had no business announcing? Do you think that that's possible? No, but I'm going to say this right now of what's going to happen. We are recording this on August 25th, ladies and gentlemen, so if this is accurate, um, everyone figure out what AJ's lottery numbers are. Go ahead. 
So already there's like this back and forth between Trump and Clinton, Hillary, that Trump called her a bigot. Hillary put this ad out presuming that Trump has ties to the KKK and everything. I predict that in a couple of weeks that Trump is going to bring somebody in that is actually has ties to the KKK or some sort of white nationalist organization and then he's going to justify why that person is on his campaign team. So you're saying someone who like you're not saying like someone who's like a card carrying member of the clan but like somebody who worked for David Duke or somebody who worked for um I don't I'm trying to think like, who's another well-known racist uh, in that in that industry. Good. The thing is is I'm not ra- I'm not racist enough to know who those people are. <laughs> I'm not racist enough. <laughs> <laughs> you know that's a good point. Probably not the way to phrase that. Well, it's done. And uh I'm to uh even though I'm white, I don't know any other white power people. That's true. And I'm proud of that fact. You've heard it here exactly. first, ladies and gentlemen. Chicago Podcast Network is proud to not know any members of the white power movement. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I think someone who has worked with the um, KKK or some uh, group like that as like an administrator... Um, an organizer, or worked closely to David Duke. Then na- his name escapes me, but I can see his face. Um, who runs one of the big national organizations? I assume it's white. What he he's white? Yeah. Well, you said I can see his face. I assume it's white. It is white Shocker. with a hood. Um, <laughs> so well, how do you know he's you white? Could see be what something. I did there? Yeah. Could be. <laughs> Could be Martin Lawrence in Bad Boys too. Exactly. Oh, we're um, full of movie so references I, tonight, ladies and gentlemen. Go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I thought I think I said knights. Uh, <laughs> oh, you're right. Knights. So, um, that's what I think is going to happen, and and Trump is going to justify, like actually justify, why this person um, is on the campaign team. And he's going to be okay with that. And there's going to be this uproar from people. And there's going to be this backlash from the the right side. Justifying why white nationalists need to have a voice in the United States. You heard it here first, you heard it here first ladies and gentlemen. AJ Signeri predicts that a card care... Nah, a, Member of a racist organization. I'll go, I'll go as far as saying that they are also a card-carrying member of some sort of white nationalist organization, too. Okay, but do you mean like the Klan? Do you, all right, can you imagine that it's actually a member of the Klan or the Aryan Party? Or is it well, one of those organizations that's like, it never technically uses the phrase white power, or, you know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? Like, no, that, I, that, that's yeah, what that, I'm that, that's what I'm referring to. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. not, so, briefly... When I say white nationalist party, I'm not referring to the Ku Klux Klan. I'm referring to any or any white nationalist organization that 
doesn't use the word white power, KKK, but they are a white nationalist organization that believes that whiteness is the correct race and that needs to be bred in our society. You know what? We never really talked about it because we were talking about a lot of stuff during the uh, during the primaries and then during the conventions and everything. But we never got to talk about what is arguably my favorite. This is going to sound funny, uh, sound weird, but stick with me. And and I hope you guys will, it, those listening, will embrace it in the manner in which it's said, which is to say my favorite racist moment of the conventions was when on CNN during the Democratic convention, one of the Trump supporters uttered the phrase, well, what have other cultures given to society or something like that? Do you remember the one I'm talking about? It was, yeah. it was just the ultimate moment of just pure old school. I swear to God, I don't mean to be insensitive to anyone who's ever experienced, but there, the truth is, one of the reasons that I fight against racism as much as I can, even in my own speech and my friends and everything, is honestly because I, I look at racism as so outdated by society that it it has to be considered not comical because it can do terrible things, but you have to be, if it's not threatening immediately to you, sometimes the only reaction that you can have is to laugh as if that that moment where your brain can't comprehend what you're seeing, AJ, so you have no choice, but it's either laugh or scream. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. That that's that kind of thing, and that moment at that at that convention coverage with I think Anderson Cooper, just I, I was just like, did that guy, like really, like in, in front of like that multi ethnic panel including Van Jones, who you know is never gonna let something like that go, like really you you drop that, what have other cultures brought, and you, you just kind of like. Do you not know like your world history in the slightest, or I don't know where civilization started? That to me, AJ, was the ultimate moment of that. There is an argument to be made, and I think we've have we talked about before what they call the changing demographics of racism. Have we talked about that? Mm-mm. Okay, it's a theory. I think it started with Malcolm Gladwell, but it's not new. It it goes back, but I think it like one of those things where Gladwell wrote about it, so then it became popular to talk about. Um, there's a theory that what started to happen in politics about 40 years ago and has continued ever since the end of World War II is it used to be that a generation died out around age 60, that the elders who stuck around to their 70s, 80s, and 90s were so rare that they were considered respected elders, right? Um, and one of the main reasons that Social Security is insolvent is because people are living so much longer. So there's an argument to be made. Whenever you hear a conservative, the one thing I agree with them on when they bring it up, and the one moment that I know is Democrats kowtowing to unions, is the talk of raising the retirement age. Uh, that, that's a thing that needs to happen because people are living much longer and they work a lot later in life. Uh, 60 is not what it used to be. When you're 60, you're still vital and able to move around. I think the age now for mandatory retirement uh, should be, not mandatory, but retirement in general should be looked at in the early 70s is is really when it should happen because medical technology has advanced to improve quality of life for those who are older. Uh, A great example is my grandfather who, and I say this with all the respect in the world and all the love that I had for him, but the truth is he should have probably died 
six or seven years before he did, but medical advancements, medical technology kept him alive, and I'm very thankful for it. But the truth is, one of the elements of this is not just in financial needs or in medical care. It is also in societal changes because old people vote. So there is a demographic that is voting right now that 10 years from now will no longer be voting. And this is a demographic that grew up before World War II or during World War II. And they look at the world very differently. This is the generation of World War II propaganda. And yes, many of them have adapted um, to the changing time. I look at my grandmother as one who is as liberal as they come and supports pretty much every liberal thing that there is in the world. My grandfather is the same way. My parents are very liberal. Most parents that I interact with are liberal. The, honestly, in my life, even in the town of Glenview, the people who I meet are Republican are older. Majority of the people I interact with are Democrats, and I think that that's pretty common. Even up to age like 60, most people I know are Democrats. And I know that that's like a bullshit sample size, but it's it's true. And I, I feel that when we're talking about all sorts of racial issues and even like this joke moment on cnn and joke moment it's a serious moment don't get me wrong folks it's it's what a generation believes but it's also a generation that oh this is going to sound horrible what the hell we're a podcast P old people don't listen to podcasts really it's a generation that for the most part should pretty much all be dead already but you know that's what, I, that's what i've been saying for the last two years yeah i mean it's just it's 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 it sounds really bad but i mean i've come to the conclusion two years ago that there needs to be a generation if not a certain few in that generation that just needs to step aside or die off because or at the very least stop voting right and, and i don't know about you but like for myself i've always felt um, those who grew up in the 80s and 90s you know, got the shit end of the stick, you know, because you had baby boomers tr doing what they were doing. We tried to come up, but they quelled what we wanted to do and everything. And then you have millennials coming up, and they're actually getting certain benefits and everything, and we're stuck in that middle in everything. And everyone complains about Gen X and Yers and everything, but... I really feel that we get the shit end of the stick when it comes to a generation because you have baby boomers who have done nothing but still stay in business. They have done nothing but create profit for themselves and tell us to pull up by our bootstraps, but yet they're not willing to step aside in order for us to create what they feel what wealth is or what have you. But here we are, a whole bunch of you know, late 20s, early, well, 30-somethings, almost 40-somethings, who are in the situation and, you know, we're a voting demographic that we don't get overlooked voting-wise, but we I think we get overlooked when it comes to jobs and the economy and everything. So my whole point is that, you know, some people need to die off in order for those of us who want to make progress happen. Right, or you have to drag that generation through the progress, kicking and screaming, which is basically, there is a part of me that takes solace in the fact that if you really think about it from that perspective, what is Donald Trump but that generation being dragged through to the new age, kicking and screaming? 
you know, having a temper tantrum right before it's all taken away from what they perceive as their America because they don't understand what American means to the generation that's coming, two generations actually that's coming after them, that to be an American means a lot of things different than what you think it means. It does not mean to be white, wealthy, and Protestant, Christian, Catholic, whatever the hell. It means to be a gay Buddhist who lives on the south side of Chicago, you know, in a quadruple relationship or, you know, a a man who chooses to never marry and have kids or have sex to, you know, any gambit of person who chooses to live their life to the person who chooses to change their skin completely and live their life as a cat, you know? Like mm-hmm. maybe it makes sense to you. It doesn't have to make sense to you. It makes sense to the person who's doing it. It's it, it's all different. It's it's though there is when you're talking about this stuff, I do talk about occasionally with some of my friends. There is also the counter argument to that, which is if you're going to be accepting of the fact that you have to drag them kicking and screaming, is sometimes you have to understand that what's happening is kicking and screaming, and that these people sometimes know that their argument is stupid, but they're fighting for an ideal that they don't want to give up. My my best recent example is, and we've talked about this before, is what I call the the insensitivity to the people who don't understand transgender when it came to the bathroom issue. Mm-hmm. And I don't, and I think you kind of agreed with me on this a little bit because it's a very, this is one of those things, and I actually want to talk about, I'm gonna, we're going to pause that for a second because this is part of actually a conversation that I wanted to have with you tonight on Out Front with AJ and Nick, say it with me. Nights. Nice. Did you see the story about the guy from University of Chicago? You think you posted about it? Did you did you read it? The guy or the dean who sent out the dean. The memo? I, I'm uh, we're in a casual environment, mother, uh, brother. It's ten thirty at night. Um, we're casual, so yeah. The guy, the dean, who put up the thing about trigger zone. <laughs> trigger you know words. the guy, the dean. Yeah, you know Dean Wormer. He's his name. No, he's that's his title. No, every every year the toilets and every year the toilets explode. <laughs> I might watch that tonight that's, before yeah, I go. That's, to... that's a video message should be sent to every university campus. He goes every night, <laughs> and every summer the toilets explode. I love that movie. You know, I did, you know what I did once in a in a college dorm. Please tell me you exploded the toilet. No, I put goldfish in toilets. Nice and forced people to make a horrible choice. Yes. Oh, man. How long? All right. Well, here's the question then. Over, under, to myself, at least one toilet made it three days. No. They, like, as soon as I put them in, like, they all flushed it. <laughs> yeah, it's because you can't. It's a men's dorm? Well, yeah. Yeah, they just wanted to kill. They're, like, 19 years old, full of testosterone and not getting laid. You better believe they killed those fish. Well, it's like <laughs> they, they flushed it. And then it looked like it, it felt like they flushed it, and then they did their business. Well, that's weird. I I mean, it, if you're gonna it's somewhat do, respectable, I was gonna say know? if you're gonna kill something, it's probably best not to just shit in its mouth. You know. <clears throat> All right. Here's my thing. So the guy posted the guy, the dean of the University of Chicago. I like just calling him the guy. Um, His name is Richard, by the way. So he's a dick. Um, <laughs> You set me up for it. You know that's what you were doing. I know. And I and I hit the ball off the tee. That was a golf reference, not a tee ball reference, because I could hit a baseball. The the dean of the University of Chicago released a statement going out to all the freshmen this year that this is not an institution, I'm paraphrasing, 
uh, what was the? I'm sorry. Is it trigger zones or trigger words or trigger, zo- trigger zones and safe spaces? So basically, the idea is that a lot of colleges have started to adapt the, what they teach and giving you warnings of what they'll be teaching. In case you find it offensive, you no longer have to attend. All you've got to do is acknowledge that you find it offensive in some way, and they won't force you to be part of a discussion or something like that. Or it's a warning that sensitive things. And uh, honestly, I'm making fun of him, but the truth is this guy is, is my new college hero. Because he made a very good point. Uh, I'm trying to find the exact statement. I posted it earlier. And it, it, the idea is quite simply that college is a place to have these discussions, but also you can't have discussions about things seriously if you're not going to talk about the issues. It's like when you're discussing the N-word, will you or will you not say the word, and I'm going to say it now, ladies and gentlemen, will you or will you not say the word nigger? It is a very inflammatory word, but you cannot discuss the word, in my opinion, without actually saying it sometimes. And that is okay if you are having a discussion, or as we are saying right now, this is a conversation about words. You and I, AJ, had one of our most heated discussions over what should have happened with uh, Andrew Shaw because of the words he chose to use in the penalty box. This is uh, the statement from the dean of the University of Chicago. Uh, dear class of 20 and 20 student, welcome and congratulations on your acceptance to the university, the college at the University of Chicago. Earning a place in our community of scholars is no small achievement, and we are delighted that you selected Chicago to, turn, to continue your intellectual journey. Once here, you will discover that the University of Chicago's defining characteristics is our commitment to our freedom of inquiry and expression. This is captured in the university's faculty report on freedom of expression. Members of our community are encouraged to speak, write, listen, challenge, and learn without fear of censorship. Civility and mutual respect are vital to all of us, and freedom of expression does not mean the freedom to harass or threaten others. You will find, you will find that we expect members of our community be engaged in rigorous debate, discussion, even disagreement. At times, this may challenge you and cause may even cause discomfort. Our commitment to academic freedom means that we do not support the so-called trigger warnings. We do not cancel invited speakers because their topics might prove controversial, and we do not condone the creation of intellectual safe spaces where people can retreat from ideas and perspectives at odds with their own. Fostering the free exchange of ideas reinforces a related university priority, building a campus that welcomes people of all backgrounds. Diversity of opinion and background is a fundamental strength of our community. The members of our community must have the freedoms to espouse and explore a wide range of ideas. I am enclosing a short monograph by Dean John W. Boyer, the Martin A. Recent Distinguished Service Professor in History and the Dean of the College, which provides a helpful primer. The monograph, entitled Academic Freedom in the Modern University, the Experience of the University of Chicago, recounts the history of debate, even scandal, resulting from our commitment to academic freedom. If you are interested in some of the source mentioned in Dean Boyer's book, you can find links that are important reports, e.g. the Calvin Report, the Stone Report, etc., and the website maintained by our university provost, uh, freeexpression.uchicago.com. Edu. Welcome to the University of Chicago. See you in September. Sincerely, the guy. So, nights. Um, I love this. I imagine that you do too. I can't imagine that you're on the other side of this. No, I think it's bullshit. What? I think it's bullshit. Really? And I'm saying as an alumni of U Chicago. Why are you saying that that's bullshit? Because... They, it's it's very hypocritical for that letter to come out because every person that is left leaning 
U Chicago has ever has always tried to block them. Really? It's a very conservative university. Except I did not, for the social science department. I did not know that. No, oh, yeah, that's where Milton Friedman went. I mean, that's the school of economics that we know and love today of the Austrian school of economics, Milton Friedman and everything, came out of the University of Chicago. Really? So everything about so everything about market free market capitalism comes out of University of Chicago. There is a part of me though that agrees with this. At least I mean, how it's worded. I mean, don't get me wrong. University of Chicago does have um, centers that does have healthy debate, and they have great scholarship and everything else. But when you when it comes down to it, University of Chicago has done a piss poor job of addressing issues. Um, last year, or two years ago, I want to say it was last year. Um, there's still like this racist fraternity that's on campus, and they will go out and will put like a fake black head on around campus hmm. and everything. And they never really addressed it. There was someone, there was a, a kid who died at the International Student House who was left there for a week. And yet no one knew of this. Are you saying, and I am coming to believe this because, Knights, not only am I wrong that I just got manipulated by a very craftily worded letter, it's okay that I was, you can tell me. Yeah. Fuck. That's how easy that is? Yeah. I mean, University of Chicago does a great job. Oh, oh man! Trying to pres- try to present itself. I was as- misled by the Chicago name. I just naturally assumed they could do no wrong. No, I mean University of Chicago. Oh my God! I got turned around on a point. <laughs> I mean University of Chicago. I mean here's one thing we have to understand about University of Chicago. University of Chicago is one of the private schools in Chicago and everything. It's one of the largest in research schools in the country. Um, it's, Dude, it's, it's where considered- Indiana Jones went. Right, and it's and it's a and it's and it's considered an Ivy League school, you know. Even on the East Coast, it's still an Ivy League school, um, and a lot of great people have graduated from there, yours included. Uh, and there's a lot of Nobel laureates that do go there, and like I said, the scholarship and the research that's at the University of Chicago is awesome. However, it is still a conservative university as i said this is where milton friedman who is a very proponent of free market capitalism has lectured and there's the milton friedman school of economics that's at the university of chicago um so they're very very much proponents of free market capitalism and libertarian ideology um university of chicago is also has the largest private law enforcement department in the city of chicago University of Chicago Police is privately funded through University of Chicago, and their jurisdiction has no bounds. I lived on 64 in Kenwood, which was um, a few blocks south of campus, and I saw University of Chicago Police pull someone over on my block with a justification because they were near the university. That was the more you know song. I know. Um, I'm like I'm, 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 
I was really impressed that they just came out of nowhere. I just want to, you know, if you're going to make a point, sometimes you need a little point. I Look, I could have gone, um, hold on, because if you're going to do it, sometimes you got to do it right. Because you could have gone with, oh, never mind, it didn't queue up. I was going to go with the G.I. Joe information is ammunition. Or no, that's not that. That's Battletech. What the hell was G.I. Joe's? Knowledge is power? No. Knowing is half the battle. Damn it. Fucked it up. Knowing is half the battle. That's G.I. Joe. That's G.I. Joe. Information is ammunition is Battletech. Um, I can't think of any of the other Saturday morning cartoons. All I can, the only other one I can think of is when they made fun of it on the Clerks cartoon. Here's the thing, and I'm going to switch back to what you were talking about because I find this fascinating, that I truly, uh, ladies and gentlemen, I, in situations like this, we're going to learn an important lesson today, children. Actually, we, we played The More You Know. In fact, the hell with it. If we're going to do this, let's do it right. You know. It's effective. That really just brings it all home. All right. Here's the lesson that we're going to learn. Something happened today. I read a letter, and I took from that letter what that letter said on faith. And the reason that I did that is because it was presented to me from the Chicago Tribune, a respected news organization, and it was worded in a way that I respected. Plus, I love the idea of the University of Chicago. It should be noted that the only things I know about the University of Chicago is that they are not the school that hosts the UIC Flames. That's all I know about the University of Chicago. <laughs> and and that Indiana Jones, a fictitious character, went to the University of Chicago. That is what I know about that school. I have always taken it on complete faith that it was a wonderful institution that could never do any wrong. Honestly, ladies and gentlemen, because it had the name Chicago in it. I am not hard to manipulate when it comes to that name. There's a reason we're the Chicago Podcast Network. Anyway, here's the lesson, though. Here's the, should we do it again? When you talk to someone that you trust, someone that you respect, someone who you know has nothing to gain except that they wish for you, their friend, to be better educated on the subject that you are currently discussing. My friend AJ pointed out several things to me that I did not in fact know. I am okay with the fact that I did not know them because no human being can know everything. One of the things that you will find in life as you go on and I am learning this only at the age of 33, but I've learned it a few years ago, is that not everybody knows everything all of the time. And that is okay, because we are not computers. Also, if you don't know things, you can look them up. You can just ask Siri, and then she'll get it wrong, and then you can type it, because Siri never actually hears you correctly. Not that I know. I don't have a, uh, an Apple phone, because Apple is an evil organization controlled by the secret cabal that is coming to conquer us all. That's not the point, though. That has nothing to do with what we're talking about. The thing that we're talking about is when someone you know, someone you love, someone you respect tells you something that you don't know and informs your opinion and simply says, listen, you are wrong, but you're not wrong because I think that you're wrong. You're wrong because this and this and this, and you have no ability really to argue with them because you don't know anything in the opposition. I'm not saying that you shouldn't take the time to investigate what your friend or family member has said to you, but... Respect the fact that they have nothing to gain from lying to you. So take what they're saying on faith and understand that you were probably wrong, and that's okay. People are wrong all the time. But the important lesson to learn in all things 
is that it's okay to be wrong. And your friends might know something you don't. So take what they say and understand it. Thank you, AJ. My opinion was wrong. And I appreciate you correcting me. And this was a lesson to everybody because not enough people are willing to do this anymore. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I mean, I know I'm being funny, but I'm also being serious. Like, you understand what I'm saying here? No, I do. I do. It's not something people are willing to do enough. I was wrong. I did not know the. I did not have the information that you had. Therefore, it is important for me to take that information, interpret it, and understand that I am wrong, and that is okay, because now my opinion is probably on the correct side based on what you just told me. And I assume that you're not lying to me about dead people because you wouldn't do that to me. Because if I found out, we would no longer do our podcast, which would not happen. This is my point. AJ had nothing to gain and everything to lose from correcting me. I could have flipped out. I could have begun yelling at him. But he was right. And we don't do this often enough on the show when you turn me around on an opinion. I just wanted to tip the time because I've been having a frustrating time with politics lately for people to just ignore information that I give them and just say that I'm wrong because they decided I was wrong 20 minutes before I arrived. You know what I'm saying? Right. No, I, I do. I imagine you face that a lot at a lot of the meetings and rallies that you go to. Oh, for sure, yeah. Oh yeah, all the time, and um, and you're absolutely right that um, no one really takes a time out to uh, not not just what you just said, but you know have the decorum to actually like if you really don't if you oppose somebody and you, and you this is why you feel that you're opposing that viewpoint. You don't take the time out to say, hey, this is why you're wrong, and actually have a conversation about it. Rather, it's just like, no, you're a fucking piece of shit. This is why you're wrong. End of story. That's the stuff I hate. I have a story from recently that I could share. Would you like, should we, you want to hear a good one? Sure. Because it's actually very important. I'm overusing it, I know. I'm going to close it. Are we going to keep doing this? I no, mean, it's done. It's done. I don't mind it. I like It's done. No, I, ladies and gentlemen, like it's fine. Key. I, I, want, I want to take that with me everywhere I go. Don't you? Just like hit a button just, on like, your just phone. Just say something like, dun, 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 dun. It'll make people respect it slightly more. Like, you know that's a thing. You think so? I think or, so. Or think that you're an ass or having an ego. AJ, buddy, you argue on the side of socialists. Have you ever given a shit that anyone thinks you're an ass? Only certain people. Right, but... Not everybody, no. Well, the same people who would think you were an ass for that are the same people who would think you were an ass for playing the more you know. The people who get it are not, in fact, asses. Therefore, it'd be fine. That's true. That's the, the, true. Honestly, the, the, the polling data would be almost identical. It's political time. I can't stop using names. Anyway, so here's the story from recently. I went out um, with my friends for a birthday. We went out to dinner at Ron of Japan, my least favorite Asian restaurant in all of Chicagoland, but my friend Laura loves it to death to the point of disturbing amounts that she goes there like six times a year for a place that charges you $80 for a little bit of steak and like a quarter of a lobster and it's shitty. Anyway, and really greasy, and it does things to my stomach. Anyway, I love Round of Japan, and we should all go there more often. I don't want to get sued. Um, 
we went out to dinner. We had some drinks. We're eating. It's all a good time. We ended up leaving there. We tried to go to our local bar. You've been to the bar, Potato Creek Johnny's in Glenview. And we tried to go there. And apparently the sewer pipe had exploded. So the bar that normally smelled like shit legitimately smelled like shit. Like, not like just smelled bad. But, I mean, you got to see the humor in it, right, AJ? It's, it's a bar that smells bad, but now it legitimately smells like shit so no one can go inside. Oh, yeah. I mean, I that's know exactly what you're talking about. That, that's where they draw the line. They're like, oh, no, it always smells bad in here, but it's fine because it's normally just like a normal bad smell. This is an extra bad, bad smell, so now we're closed. Sure, fine. No one was going to sit inside anyway, but whatever. So we ended up going to another bar down on Dempster called uh, It Doesn't Matter because I don't want to get in trouble with anything. Potato Creek Johnny's, I don't care. Um, and I'm sitting there, and they actually the old bartender from Potato Creek Johnny's happens to show up at the bar that we're at. Now, I am lubricated, is a good term, uh, much more than I am tonight. And I am having a good time with my friends, and we're talking about Donald Trump. And honestly, if you really have nothing else to talk about with people at this point, it's kind of like the weather, I've noticed. Like, it's either the weather, sports, or Trump. Uh, and then every once in a while, somebody goes, well, no, he's actually right. And then you go, I can't talk to this person right now because I've got to start screaming and grabbing the sides of my head and yelling, it's not true, it's not true, it's not true. And I think it's best that we not do that in public. Anyway, a guy came up to me and told me that he supported Donald Trump. This is the old bartender from The Thing. And I knew he did because we had fought many times when he was a bartender, and it, it was fine. He's very conservative. He argued for George W. Bush against John Kerry to me, uh, which I laughed at. And then he argued for John McCain and Sarah Palin against Barack Obama to me, which made me understand that he was a moron. And then he argued for Mitt Romney, which made me understand that he didn't under realize that he'll never be rich, and at least at Mitt Romney's weird cultish level. And then... He shows up at the bar, and we start talking, and we're going back and forth. And he got me. He got me in the same way a lot of people who you currently talk politics will get you, which is if they start arguing for Donald Trump, and you immediately go, well, he's not a very good businessman, and people will say he's a billionaire, and you will say, no, I read a New York Times piece and a Wall Street Journal piece and an Atlantic piece, all from major accountants who estimate Donald Trump's net worth at somewhere in the neighborhood of 650 to $350 million of actual liquid assets that he could sell and generate the revenue to himself. He says that the Donald Trump brand is worth $4 billion. Now, I am here to tell you, my good buddy AJ, do you know how much Lucasfilm sold to Disney for when they bought Lucasfilm? Um, I thought it was in the tune of $120 million, wasn't it? Uh, no, it would actually be four, $4.2 billion, two of which went to Disney. Oh, so it was billion. Yes. Okay. Billion. It sold. This is how I know that Donald Trump brand is not worth four billion because star wars and indiana jones and a bunch of other properties that you don't care about are all worth in the neighborhood of four billion dollars and the reason that they're worth that much is because i own currently in my possession i am looking at in my room actually this will be fun for aj aj if i look in my room without moving anything around how many things star wars do you think i can actively see in front of you? In front of me, without touching or moving anything. Ten um, things. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, 
Oh, you got suckered out by like, two Star Trek things. Oh, wow. They're in the place of Star Wars. So it's eight Star Wars, three Star Trek, and honestly, a bunch of other shit that nobody cares about. Um, anyway, that's how much Star Wars and Indiana Jones are worth. Four point billion dollars. Marvel, when it sold to Disney, it was worth $2 billion. And if you think that the Marvel brand is worth $2 billion right now, you do not know anything about box office, ladies and gentlemen. So let's assume Marvel is worth, at this point, they sold for two. Figure they've, what, quadrupled or even five times the worth since they've owned it. So, what, 10 to $12 billion? I assume the Marvel brand is worth if you, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. All right, Donald Trump is worth four, the name Trump, for some ties mm-hmm. and some shirts. I don't think so. So, realistically, Donald Trump is worth, if he's really, really, if you're really being generous, maybe a billion dollars. And that's not a bad thing. That's a huge amount of money. That's an insane amount of money. But here's the problem. If you say that you are worth $10 billion, and you're only worth one, and really the only reason that you're worth one is because you're a self-aggrandizing egomaniac who has created a brand for himself out of basically cheating people out of your money. So let's just subtract that from the equation because, let's face it, if Donald Trump goes broke, all of his his brand isn't worth shit. So he's worth $650 million, which is a lot of money, but not $10 billion, which means he's been lying this whole time. And when you point that out to this bartender at the bar that I was at, his response was not to defend the fact that Donald Trump is worth $4 billion because he doesn't know enough to be able to defend that position, which is fine. He doesn't simply say to me that he doesn't have the ability to defend the position or acknowledge that my numbers are coming from somewhere credible. He turns to me and says, well, I can't vote for Hillary Clinton. And I'm drunk enough that I take the bait and I say, why not? Which is what the mistake that a lot of us are making. You're making it too, by the way, when people say that they can't vote for a third party or whatever you say to them, AJ, because the issue that you pinned them down on whether we are conscious of it or not, it requires the ability to pivot and force them back to the question that you asked and not give up that point. I asked this guy a legitimate question about Donald Trump. His response was to tell me that he couldn't vote for Hillary. I began to defend Hillary, which is a position I'm not overly comfortable with because I don't know enough about her to defend her completely. But I've told you on the show, I've told you off the phone, or off the phone, off the air, that I don't believe Hillary Clinton is as crooked as we would believe, that it is a result of 25 years of manipulation, that there is no evidence of a quid pro quo in any of the Clinton Foundation shit. There really isn't, otherwise they'd be gone. They have taken down every major politician on the Democratic side who even had the slightest hint of controversy that they could prove, and they haven't been able to get past anything. They haven't been able to prove anything beyond a reasonable doubt. And I know that that's a court phrase to use, but that shit matters. And she hasn't been caught doing anything. But you instantly are on the defensive because what he did to me was he questioned me on her selling of mining rights to a Ukrainian company. And it sounded really bad. And he said she was a Clinton, it was a Clinton Foundation donor who got a mining contract approved by the Secretary of State. And he said, that was a quid pro quo. And I listened to it, and I said, you got to prove it to me, because that sounds like bullshit. And he hands me an article from the Washington Post. And I believe the Post. They have journalistic ethics, but not as much as I thought they did. Now, that's the story that he got. And I basically shut up for the remainder of the argument, because the truth is, it's a hard position to defend. Did she actually do that? Whatever. Are you still with me? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. It's late, so I want to make sure you're not falling asleep. My voice is relaxing. 
Knights. Um, Are you literally taking a drink when you say Knights? Not every time, but that time I did. <laughs> you heard the ice, didn't you? I've, I've heard like three different times. I'm like, are you saying Knights then drinking? No, I'm saying I'm drinking. As if it, as if it was like, you know, it's like, salute, drink. Yeah, I'm hoping that you're joining me, but you're lying to me about vodka that you have. It's, it's fine. Right here. I don't believe you, and it's fine because it's cool. I imagine you'd be talking as much as I would. That's why. Otherwise, you're a quiet drunk, which... I'm a quiet drunk. That, I'm a thinking drunk. You're a thinking drunk. That explains this podcast then, doesn't it? It's everything I ever wanted. You're my Andy to, to Conan. Yes, at this point. Yeah, it's just giggle when I cue you to giggle. Um... That would have been an opportunity right there. So you're failing me. Anyway. Um, <laughs> I hate you. So <laughs> anyway, um, so I'm talking to this guy. I completely lose the I lose the argument for the night. But he did open my eyes. And this is what started me on the I'm checking on Hillary Clinton. So I looked into this. Let's focus on the one. No, guy, this is the same thing that we had. Somebody pointed something out to me. I said I was unaware of it. I forgot that part of the story. I told him I didn't know anything about that. And then he showed me the article, and I read it, and I said, well, if this is the case, this is pretty damning. And then the conversation kept going, and it was whatever. I still started arguing about Trump because I think that I don't really care how crooked Hillary Clinton is. She's not going to blow up the world because of a tweet. Um, We're talking, and I leave the bar... But I remember it. It's in my head. Because it's one of those moments where you're like, I didn't know that. I'm usually the guy who knows stuff. That bothers me. I'm going to go look it up. And I went home, and I looked it up. And I really got into it. I was like, all right, let me really scour every article written, even the far right wing, the far left wing shit, and see where we're at. And what I found out was, yes, that happened. But what the part of the story that he meant to me, that he gave to me, left out was it had to not only be approved by the Secretary of State's office, it had to be approved by the Department of Justice, the Director of, Nas- the Director of National Intelligence, it had to be de- uh, approved by the CIA, and it had to be approved by the executive branch. So unless Hillary Clinton manipulated all five branches of government to do her whim for a donation to a private foundation for money that none of those people ever saw, it was a completely legit deal. And the reason that I know it's a legit deal is because, and this is the truth that no one is ever willing to admit, you get a bunch of recommendations, for you, a job comes up. You tell people you know about the job. You've been, she's been working in the international circle for so long. Yeah, she knows people. I don't have a problem with what happened there because it had to go through all those other branches in government. So either all of, the, all of those branches are as corrupt, some of them are nonpartisan, as people are saying, or, Hillary Clinton's a woman who's been in professional politics for so long, everything she does seems like she has an agenda, which, truth be told, she probably does, but it's not evil. I don't think that she's evil. I don't think that she's out just for herself. I think that she's a woman who's trying to position herself to do the most good, and sometimes, in the world that she lives in, you've got to be Frank Underwood. And I, I know that she's not the greatest candidate. I'm not the most excited to vote for her. I just don't think she's as bad as some people have positioned her as. But the moral of the the story was, I learned something new, I surrendered the position because I learned something new, and then I went, and now I cannot wait to run into this asshole again and bring up the other five branches. That was my point of the story. Now, AJ, you were going to say, I'm sorry, I didn't want to cut you off, but I wanted to get to the more you know. I'm not going to play it because you overdid it, but go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, no, so here's the thing. It's mostly about Clinton and the foundation and everything. The problem lies within is this. 
Because the way the foundation is set up, and the way both her and Bill have constructed the foundation, and because of the ties that they have and the resources that they have, that they really have blurred the line between nonprofit um, world, private world, and public world. Okay? So the problem that she's getting herself into is all the stuff that she's doing through the Clinton Initiative and the two other programs that are part of the Clinton Foundation, that they're all muddled between the private industry as well as the public sector. And so when you, when you have a title as Secretary of State, while you still have a foundation and you may have relinquished your titles and duties on the, on the board and every other nonprofit law that you had to abide to, even though you've done that, you are still have this uh, sticky situation where you may have done things as Secretary of State, and then once you now jump out of the public sector and now into what's, what, what, what most of us call the third sector, which is the nonprofit sector, when you jump into the third sector, then it becomes really, really um, iffy because are you really doing stuff as a nonprofit? Are you doing more, more stuff as a private individual? Are you doing it because of your public status as the first lady and former secretary of state? No, you're absolutely, you are absolutely correct on all of that. But here's my point. Then the question becomes this. Some of it may be true. None of it may be true. All of it may be true. The question that you need to ask yourself is, everything that you've ever seen Hillary Clinton actually do, actually do, not be rumored to do, that's an important thing, actually do, do you trust her or not? That's the no. question that needs to be asked. I do. I don't think that she's a bad person. I think that given I think that given the stakes of the White House, she will generally make the decision that I would make. I don't I don't trust her because she's intelligent enough that she knows what she's doing. And when you listen to her attorney on MSNBC yes two days ago on Meet the Press Daily with Chuck Todd. I love that guy. It was the same attorney who was also the Whitewater attorney for the Clintons and everything. Um, he has also said that the laws that they have used for their own gain has put them in this situation. No, absolutely that is true. I'm not, I'm not arguing that. I'm just simply saying it comes down to a simple – that's what it, it all comes down to, though. What do you choose to believe? What do you want to believe? But, but you're making it a bias, though, because you're, you're saying that this is all true. However – No, I'm not. Yes, you are, because you just said a couple times that everything is factual of what's the problem with Hillary Clinton. Oh, no, thing. yeah, okay. But no. when push comes to shove – She's not a bad person. Yes, she's you know the lesser of two evils, but this is the person I'm going to be siding with and everything. And it really needs to be, this is the problem. She, for her 10-year as a professional and as a politician, damn well knows that everything up to this point has been nothing but 
flies combing the shit. And she knows that because of the various tentacles that she has put herself in as a senator, secretary of state, first lady, private nonprofit area, et cetera, et cetera. All of that, that she knew that when she came into this race, that she's going to be the lesser of two evils. And she knew that no other Democratic Party candidate is going to come off the bench because she's the only one on the bench that will go against Well, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. There are two problems with your argument, though. One is, one is the 2008 campaign of Barack Obama that ended up beating her. Um, if she is as powerful and as manipulative and as good as people say, that would have never happened to her. But it did. So that means that That's she's... That's a false one because that time everyone wanted a black president and Obama came bullshit. along and everything. Bullshit. That's, no, that's bullshit. Not a bullshit thing. You and no, I no, 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 no. That's not. That's not accurate, though. It is accurate. Oh, Look at the voting. Look at the voting. The vote. What happened? Yeah. In the, 08? Oh, come on, man. In 08, everybody. Barack Obama swept up on a on a what turned out to be bullshit momentum of change and hope for the future that no one was running on. And because. Uh, Listen, 2008, people didn't want another Bush no, no, and everything. No, no, no. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something right now that is that the people underestimate about the 2008 campaign of Barack Obama that he honestly doesn't get credit for. Everyone always talks about, and honestly, this goes back to the fucking jackass Alex Jones shit, too. There's this, there's this accepted narrative that Hillary Clinton is this all-powerful, all-controlling, evil person in many ways that has manipulated politics and professional politics to gain and all this other shit. And all of that is fine if you want to believe that, because it is all of act of faith either way it's an act of faith and here's the thing she lost if she's all powerful if she's that impressive the whole black president thing that you're arguing to is bullshit people didn't get honestly at that point no i don't think people really did want a black president barack obama is the most charismatic coolest son of a bitch who's ever walked he is samuel jackson 20 years before samuel jackson became popular and he is that fucking cool and he honestly ran on a platform of charisma and that is proof to me that the politicians and all of this shit that we always talk about of how rigged it is, is horse shit. It's horse shit. Yes, you can manipulate. Yes, you can lie. Yes, you can do everything under the sun to move everything and anything. But the truth is it all comes down to on one simple day, what do people vote for? And invariably, if you give people a choice, they will vote for hope. Believe it or not. That is proof in many American elections. If you give them a choice, George W. Bush won that second election on two things. One, gay marriage, and the second thing is he was going to win the war and everything was going to be great. And John Kerry was running on the platform of, if you elect this guy, it'll be eight, four more years of the most horrible shit that you've ever seen. And while he may have been correct, if you run on a platform of fear, almost all Always you will lose. It is rare that it wins. It's just that it's scary as fuck to watch. Ronald Reagan's second campaign, It's Morning in America, literally won because it was the hopeful message of the two. The only example in recent history where the negative campaign has effectively worked was Lyndon Johnson with the Alice commercial where they showed a nuclear bomb going off in 1964 and blowing up all of civilization. That was the only time it worked. Nixon, 
ran a negative campaign against Kennedy, he fucking lost. When Goldwater ran a campaign against Nixon, he lost because he ran against how fucked up Nixon was. Every single time a candidate forces it as it's a negative campaign against the other person, they have lost. George Dukakis lost to George Bush for a lot of reasons, but one of them was he ran on a platform of fear and hatred. So the truth is this, the American people will always side with hope. It's, it's a weird historical thing. It's just proven by facts. So when people say that Hillary Clinton is going to manipulate and do all these things that she's done for all this horrible gain, the truth is very simple. She's been in politics for 25 years. No one really knows what the fuck she's done or what she's not. So it's a choice. It's a choice of what you believe. It's a choice of what you're going to do. But in 2008, the most manipulative, evil politician of all time, the Lex Luthor of Democratic politics, fucking lost because of votes. The system isn't as... I don't agree with that. You don't agree that the platform of hope always wins? Almost always no. wins. Prove no, me wrong. because be, be able to what, but yeah, the, what is your definition of hope? Because Reagan ran on, ran on hope. He never said hope, but he ran on hope and won. You know? Twice. Uh, huh? Twice. Yeah, but he never said hope. So? doesn't matter. Hope is a feeling. It's not the word itself is not important. Actually, it is because you can sell hope without hope saying hope. hope. You can sell hope without ever saying the no, term. No, no, that's bullshit. Because you have to understand what we mean as hope and what real changes and everything. And we get so entrenched of what people say they're saying. So when when you have Reagan saying, you know, we want that shiny that sign that shiny city on the hill and everything, and we want government on the rearview mirror and everything, people bought into that. And they voted for Reagan for that and everything. And when Obama said hope and change, because those two are the antithesis of what happened the eight years we had with Bush and everything. So, of course, people are going to get on the hope and change bandwagon because that is the very antithesis of what neoconservatism was that we had in everything. So, of course, they got on that boat and they had a very good looking black man to do that and everything. Not the John Lewis's that we wanted, or the Elijah Cummings that we wanted, or the Keith Hastings that we wanted and everything. It was a slick-talking guy named Barack Obama. Hold on and a second. People say, wanted to hold have on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. You no, keep no, no, saying, no, no. you keep saying they, we. You keep saying we. Who are you referring to as we? The people that you, you're with? Or the majority of people, because the votes tell you it was a majority of people. I'm talking about the people like actually doing stuff. Okay, well, that's different. That's different, AJ. This is the this is the fight that you and I always end up having, dude. You're you are making the you are holding people accountable for not being more like you and more active in the political scene. That's honestly there's nothing wrong with that. Th- there is some, there there's nothing wrong with you doing it, I guess. But there is something fundamentally. It's only fundamental if you make it fundamental. No, no, no. I'm not saying fundamental. Like I'm trying to think. It's fundamental. I'm trying to think of the prior, prop. Look, man. It's eleven fifteen at night. I'm trying to think of the right word here because it's important. If you, you're saying what I think you're saying, that I am running the assumption that everyone should be thinking the way I, me and others should be thinking. No, 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 no. That's that. not what I'm saying. Because I know you, and I'm not. And you're not a bad guy. That's not what you're saying at all. I'm not an idiot. That's not what you're saying. I love you. Come on, it's 11.15 at night and we're still talking. I, I know. This isn't that. Nights. But what it really is, man, to me, is you, you're assuming and you're holding people responsible for not being as informed as you are. And while you are right yes. that people should be as in No, you're absolutely correct, 100%. People need to be more informed. They absolutely do. 
But you and I had an argument once, and I'll always remember it. It was an argument about activism. You remember it, I assume. It was one of our grades. It was at the old radio station. You remember that one? Uh, which one? The specific one where you were holding... It was the week... We were still at the old radio station the last time Chicago's Teachers Union went on strike, remember? And, oh, yeah, yeah, okay. and you were talking about how you were going to go out there, and, and, and mm-hmm. I think you were saying you were going to march with them or a part of a protest that yeah. was with them or something. And you said, and the truth is, what, and we were started talking about it. I said, that's really good, man. I go, but here's the thing. I go, the, the, end of, the truth is, um, I've talked to a lot of people who I know who aren't involved in this stuff, and they're just kind of pissed. And you kind of came back at me uh, really aggressively because you were pissed off because no one was caring as much as you thought that they should. And you're right. And you simply said, well, that's bullshit. These people should be out there marching with me. And I said, dude, people can't march with you all the time. And you got, well, if they cared enough, they'd march. And I tried to explain to you, and this is the conversation that we're going to have again right now. Man, motherfuckers don't have time. They don't have time. Everyone in this country from the fucking CEOs down is literally working 13 hours a day to stay ahead. Everybody is. I got a roommate here. He's a great guy. He's got a good job. He works as the manager of a van rental company. And this son of a bitch is tomorrow off. It is the first day off he's had other than a Sunday in months that I honestly can remember. It's bullshit. The dude works incredibly hard. He gets paid for 40 hours a week. It's horseshit. That happens to him all the time. And the truth is, he has some things that he believes in. I'm not going to say what they are. I don't want to put anybody's shit out on the street. But the truth is, he believes in some stuff very, very strongly. But let me tell you what he doesn't have time to do. He doesn't have time to take a day off of work that he can't afford to take off because he's trying to buy a house to go down to the city and march. He doesn't have time to spend eight hours a day online reading everything he can find about whatever topic is important that week, man. That's not fair to ask of people. So you have to understand and realize that, yes, they should be as informed as you are, at least as informed as I am, which is clearly, as we learned earlier tonight with the UFC letter, that I am not as informed as you are, which is why when you talk about Hillary Clinton, I take your arguments on on faith. But Hope and Change in 2008 by Barack Obama is, and you understand politics better than most because you've been involved with it for a long time, and easy to understand, simple to digest, cure-all for everything. That is what got Trump to where he's at. People love cure-alls, and they love hope. And if you give them both, they'll eat it the fuck up. So yeah, all those candidates that you named that because it's 11.15 at night and I've been drinking, I cannot remember their names, didn't get shit. And the reason they didn't get shit is because they didn't look as good as he did, which is important. They didn't have the presence that he did, which again is important. And they weren't selling the double cure-all pill of hope and change. Because really, at the end of the day, what the fuck does that even mean? But here's the thing. And you're right about, you know, small digestible sound bites and things that sound important and everything. But here's the thing. The last, since 08, I'm going to take 08 for for a moment, from 08 forward, there have been candidates that have used words like future-focused, full employment, um, respect diversity, you know, things of that nature. Things that people do want to have. And they've been in campaigns before. But they still don't vote for those people. 
They don't know about those people. Yes, they do know. Well, now now they do. Uh, a little bit. How many? Know how, listen, listen, listen. Let's put it to you this way. We are in the middle of the most contentious political campaign of our lives. Would you think that that's fair? Uh, I think this is. I think this is the the election that's going to be pivotal in our U.S. political history. Yes. Okay. My 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 point, though, more than that, is to say that this is going to be. Uh, this has been and will be an election of anger and vitriol and yelling from both sides of the aisle and all that bullshit that's been going on for years, but now it's at a fucking fever pitch. We talked about it earlier with the Rush Limbaugh. and if We talked about it on this show or the last show. Jesus Christ. Um, we talked about it, I think, last week. Uh, Rush Limbaugh and Frankenstein's Monster and Glenn Beck and well, all that. That was last week. Yeah, that was right. Glenn Beck and all that shit. If you were to go around and ask a majority of people who the fuck Gary Johnson is, how many people do you think could actually tell you? I think right um, now, now, now. Now quite a bit. I still think it's less than 35%. I think you'll, I think you'd be surprised to be, I would give if, them 25%. If, if you and I went and managed to get, and not the bullshit of, because all surveys are bullshit because the question is, it's not 100 people, it's 100 people who agreed to be surveyed, right? That's the family feud rule. Yeah. And that's the same thing with all polls. But the truth is, I think that if you got, if you stood outside of one Wacker Drive and interviewed the accountants coming out of the building and started asking them, one and all, do you know who Gary Johnson is? These are college-educated people. I think even in that environment, you're talking 40% know who Gary Johnson is. Maybe have heard the name, but have no idea who he actually is and would probably think he was an athlete. I'm saying off the top of their heads. Right. That's not an argument to me, uh, and and honestly, they wouldn't know any of his positions except that he smokes weed. So that would get I don't know twenty five percent of those people to vote for him. But asking people to understand who obscure candidates are, who they've never heard of, it's not going to happen. I'm not asking you to think that it's right, AJ. I'm asking you to acknowledge what the reality is because well, whenever, I, I fully acknowledge the reality of everything. You're just like me. I, you you cannot surrender the position. You must. I get it. No. No, I don't have to. That's fair. That's always fair. And I was because I know the reality of I know the reality of the election and everything else in this in this world and everything. But here is what I stand on: there are certain realities that we have to have, but that reality is bullshit. Ha. That's what it is. I don't care what your reality is; it is what it is. But it's bullshit. I'm going to tell you everything that we have learned about politics and history and our culture is absolute bullshit. I can, right now, sit in the middle of a road while cars going by, and the cars will stop. The law says I can't sit in the middle of the road, but I can do that. The reality is we have laws. We have order. But they're bullshit. And you and I both know this. And we have laws for, for reasons that protect the few. And not for all of us. And we have jobs that tell us what we can and cannot do, but we're the ones who are actually making the very thing that's profiting the person who's actually getting the profit and everything, you know? And, this, and, we're, not, and we're getting an education. Ah, here it that's is. also bullshit. And this, ladies and gentlemen, is why I have my buddy co-host this podcast with me. What you are hearing is the true impassioned argument of a man who is dedicated to his cause. I don't always agree with him, 
But I do, man, I respect the fuck out of the fact that you always defend your position. I think sometimes when I'm interrupting you like the way that I do is honestly to defend to people that he's not as crazy as it actually sounds. Like, I, because I want them to, I want you to acknowledge that what the reality is and what you'd like are two very different things. Because look, if I had my way, Bernie Sanders would be the president of the United States and every single one of his policies would be immediately enacted. Mainly because I trust in the fact of the guy being a good person more than anyone I've ever seen in professional politics, I think, ever in my life. So, I mean, I, I, here's why I, I want to encourage everybody to do, if you're listening at this here we go. time. I would love for people to read a, about Jean Bouliard, and that's B-A-U-D-R-I-L-L-A-R-D. I bring him up because he talks about an idea called hyperreality, Okay. And he wrote a book about perception and everything. He talks about hyperreality. And when he talks about hyperreality, that we are given certain perceptions in our lives. And that perceptions come through media, that comes through our upbringing, and that comes through education and a few other factors. And because of that, it has created this thing in our minds. And we believe these things. That thus creates our own reality. Because reality is a construct. Okay? First and foremost, that's what reality is. So when we talk about people with the Sanders campaign and everything, they have their a reality was constructed. You can see from the beginning of the Sanders campaign to the end that everybody who didn't like Bernie at first then slowly started becoming Sandernistas. And now they want to do writing campaigns. And now they want to do third parties because a reality was constructed. And that's my point. Everything that we're talking about is a constructed reality. And I understand there's a reality there. And there are things that we should go by and everything. But it's bullshit. And it needs to be stripped away because the things that are going on right now are the very things myself and others are trying to fight for. But these realities is nothing but bullshit and barriers to real progress that's going on. You know something, ladies and gentlemen? We did one show. It was an hour and one minute long. We've done a second show. It has just crossed over the one hour and 17 minute mark. As I say, it's been a, it's been a while. And I feel that I should give AJ the respect... To let him end on his particular rant when so much of these two shows was me almost drunkenly rambling his way through conversation. Though I have to say, I don't think I slurred. You haven't, which I'm very proud of you for. I'm just saying, I used to prove to my buddy Paul, who's best man, again, I was at his wedding, that the way that I proved to him that I'm still sober is I use overly elaborate words, like elaborate. And <laughs> the fact that I can pronounce them... <laughs> what? means that I am to fine. prove that you're not drunk, they use over-elaborate words like elaborate. Right. Or I say difficult to say things like copper top. It's a type of Duracell battery. Oh yeah, dude. Come on. If you're going to do something... Well, you know how I prove I'm, I'm not as drunk? I imagine you touch both your nose with both hands and recite the I alphabet. Don't. I don't. <laughs> um, and this is going to sound very, very nerdy. I, I do an impossible calculus problem in my head. Okay, so that's proving it to yourself. I'm proving it to other people. This is why I have friends and you don't. Well, I'm proving it to other people, too. Okay. Well, I can't do calculus. That's why I chose a career in radio. 
And since we're at the same level, my friend, I feel I made the right choice because I don't have to worry about calculus. When you're thinking about calculus to stay sober, I just think of Batman beating me up, and then I stop thinking I want to drive. All right, I think that's a good point to end. Actually, I wanted to end on your rant. But, AJ, we used their music. We used their stuff a couple times to start and end some shows. And I really feel like if we're going to end, you got to do it with me. Remember, it's a count of one second. It's been one and a half out- seconds. Okay, then out front, AJ and Nick, Knights. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening. Uh, We actually haven't done the proper in two episodes. Shit, I'm going to have to put something at the end of the last episode. You can find us on Facebook, Chicago Podcast Network. You can find us on Twitter, Shottown Podcast One. And you can email us on Gmail, Chicago Podcast Network at gmail.com. It is where you can, you know, contact us, tell us what you thought. And AJ, I know I usually ask you at this exact moment to do that thing, but I want you to first hear how we're going to end our show with our music because it is AJ and Nick Knights, but it's also part two of a cliffhanger. And nothing made me feel better after a cliffhanger than hearing this. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for sticking with us. You heard me do the propers. AJ. Say goodbye to the wonderful people. Goodbye, people. That was AJ Signary. I am Nick Sarandos, host and editor-in-chief of the Chicago Podcast Network. That is AJ Signary. He is a revolutionary and a passionate man whose opinions I don't always agree with, but I respect the shit out of the fact that he has them. And he fights the good fight a lot more than the rest of us ever will. He is as close to a Star Trek officer as I know. And I give you the Klingon salute, my friend, and say, Kapla! And uh, I think, really, at that point, the only thing left to say is, thank God, we out! It's 106 miles to Chicago. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes. It's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it. It's 106 miles to Chicago. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes. It's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it.